0: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HT
1: Smartcast. Do millennials invest better than their parents? Millennials have taken to equity in a big way, particularly over the past two years. Some have even dipped their toes into asset classes like cryptocurrency that were non-existent fifteen to twenty years ago. Their parents, on the other hand, would have spent most of their lives focusing on real estate and gold. Does one generation invest better than the other or are both really outcomes of their respective circumstances? To help us answer this question, we have with us two young wealth managers, Siddhant Jain and Viraj Vora of Bluefort Financial, a wealth management firm based in Mumbai. Hi, welcome to Why Not Mint Money? a person finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started on your money journey. Sudan, so tell me your experience. Do you think that your parents invested better than you do?
0: That's a hard question. I don't know about better, but I would definitely say that it was things were very different. My dad comes from a pretty humble background. He started a business on his own. So a lot of his investment objectives are different from mine. Um, a lot of his constraints are different from mine. Uh, for him, it was all about surviving first, creating that wealth. So capital protection was extremely important for him. For me, it's all about cap, uh, growth, right? Compounding, consistently compounding and getting to my freedom as soon as possible. But for him, it was very much about that roti kapra makan, as we say. Build your own house, you know, have enough emergency money for your family. So the asset classes he chose were obviously a lot more, uh, you can say, safe and and traditional in nature, such as keeping money in a bank or investing into property, right, or keeping a little bit of jewelry, right? Uh, So in the form of golds or diamonds and stuff like that. For me, of course, with this new information that is available to me, which was not available to him back then, you know, markets were not as deep and we didn't have social media, we didn't have so many books that we have, we didn't have all the knowledge that we have available to, to us now. Uh, So a lot of my objectives are very different, you know, a lot of my investments are in financial instruments, uh, which was just not the case for him. Uh, So I wouldn't say better or worse, but of course, you know, different objectives and I think both approaches work. He managed to succeed in his objective and hopefully I managed to succeed in mine. So if
1: you had to put a number to how much equity he invested in as a percentage of his assets, what would that be and what would be your number?
0: It's For him, um, so let's start off with him. For his number would be almost 0%, right? Uh, Typically, and I think that's very typical of a a previous generation balance sheet, right? It's almost zero to 10%, which is what we see in a lot of cases. You know, a lot of his money was into physical assets. Like I said, you know, property and gold. My equity on the other hand would be close to 80 to 100% at all times. Uh, Like I said, objectives are very different. I understand that equity is an amazing asset class that can compound at 15 to 20% if you do it right. The fortune I've had of learning This early, you know, in my early 20s is something that he did not have, uh, which is why such a vast difference in his equity versus my my equity. Of course, lately, because I'm there, he's able to start investing now, which is why maybe his equity would have gone from zero to a good 15-20%, but it still remains extremely low compared to the entire wealth that he has.
1: Yeah. So my parents had a very similar story. They happened to inherit some property which had tenants in it and at that time there were these very strict tenancy laws that rents were frozen at very very low levels. So they spent most of their working lives allowing all their savings into one by one buying off the tenants and getting the buildings back and so that was pretty similar like something like 90-95% of their investments. How about you, viraj
2: so for me, um, I happen to be the third generation investor of my family. As a typical stereotype would be, my grandfather, he started investing with Thiru and Mari in Reliance, right? He's taken Reliance shares from the IPO, then he's added some other companies and of course, at that time as Sudan rightly mentioned, right? Lack of knowledge, lack of advice, lack of social media so he had no exposure to asset allocation diversification so he just bought whatever he could whenever he had the liquidity right so that was my grandfather and of course for him now what has happened is some of the shares maybe three out of 30 have kind of made the money which he's happy with but if i look at it from a portfolio perspective it's been what eight to ten percent uh, for random returns and exactly opposite is my dad who's uh traditionally chose of course he was involved in that i mean he was a part of that harshan meta scam wherein he started distrusting equity after that and uh, because of it he's as you know like Sidhan's dad probably 100% into properties and of course his own business. Me being the third generation as I mentioned I have around 80-90% equity to be honest uh, we don't have that capital for the land as well as of now to you know at this age. So which is rightfully the good thing because uh, we don't want to lock up you know my money for. 10-20 10-20 years without any liquidity. Stocks
1: give us that flexibility and we know that we can compound it at about 30, 20% so it's more about it that way. Right and what's interesting is that today's financial world gives millennials a route to real estate without having to cough up passive lumps. sum.
2: Absolutely and I mean it's changed for the better. It becomes so much easier. Because if you see one of the most important characteristics before taking any investing decision is liquidity. Today's generation, anyone who we've spoken to till now or anyone I know for a fact in the millennials, at least that particular age group, nobody wants to lock up their assets for like 15-20 years. And with real estate, you cannot guarantee that, okay, today you buy something, you can liquidate it whenever you want it. Right? Yeah. So the liquid uh, ways to invest into REITs or uh, the multiple assets, yeah. uh, multiple choices that we have yeah. has kind of made it easier to have certain exposure. Of course not, because people still, you know, want aggression today. They want to be invested in stocks and of course, the new age asset classes, which have come
1: up. Yeah.
2: And social media, right? Social media helps you direct your mentality in a way that the herd mentality. And the herd mentality right now is going towards stocks, cryptos. And that's how most of the millennials are going forward as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. then let's talk about how they picked stocks, whatever extent they did. Not just from your parents, but whatever you've heard of other people in that generation. Right because there were no mutual funds there were no index funds you were dis- dependent on the mercy of your local stock broker correct so how did they how did they pick stocks
0: It was all about tips, right? It was all about the information you get from the people you know, and that was the extent of people's research. Uh, A lot of it was just IPOs. Uh, There's a myth or there's this belief that if you just invest into IPOs, you will make an insane profit, right? You will make a lot of money just investing into any new listed company. And I think till date, a lot of that investing behavior is still there. You you know, in the last one year, we've seen a lot of IPOs come up, a lot of uh, HNIs or the previous generation, just subscribing mindlessly to all of them without understanding what the company does so i'll give you my grandfather's example he's subscribed to a lot of company ips without even knowing what the company does right if you ask him there was an ipo called rolex rings and people thought that the company sells watches right because it had the word rolex so that's that's a classic example of how people invest unfortunately equity is always i mean equity is represented by a business there's an underlying business and long term the business the performance of the stock will be uh, completely correlated in the long term uh, to the performance of the business and people still don't seem to understand Right. So uh, picking any equity stocks for the older generation was just about people coming and telling them, primarily relatives, friends, brokers, like you said. Brokers had a big part to play because, of course, earnings were completely tied up to how often the client was trading with them. And back then, I think back in the 90s and 2000s, uh, when our parents had just started making money and they had that spare liquidity, the brokerage were extremely high. Like every transaction would cost a good two and a half, three percent. Uh, we didn't have discount brokerages back then. We didn't have stuff like zero da, which is just completely a no cost, or Robinhood um, that we have now. So yes, uh, equity was an asset class like we were discussing before. It was called the Satta Bazaar, and this is precisely why, because there was no logic, there was no reasoning. The extent of the research was only tips
2: and it. Yeah. Also to add on to that, as you rightly asked, right, what were the decision makers? How would they kind of look for assets? So what what would they choose to do? One of the important things back then, especially in the 80s and 90s, was that um, unless and until you can touch or feel the asset, you would not invest in it. So equity at that time was just a paper, a piece of paper. You don't know what's behind it. As Siddhant also mentioned about Rolex range, right? You don't know about the company in general. With land, with gold, what happens? is You can touch and feel the asset, so you're more comfortable owning it, holding it, or owning it for a longer period of time. Of course, scams do happen today because at that time transparency wasn't there, so people thought, okay, everyone is trying to con them. Today also, because still transparency is there, but scams do happen, but they happen on a broader level. At that time, scams, scams were on an individual level; like it was easy to con someone right across you. So that's why I think that's where the decision of you know owning a piece of land, owning a piece of gold was more prominent then
1: because of the fact that, you know,
2: you're just more comfortable.
1: Yeah. And what's of course changed now is, you know, the presence of mutual funds, the presence of index funds, which allows you with little or no knowledge to still have a decent equity investing experience. Absolutely. Um, But many of the problems that they encountered are still there. There are still pump and dump schemes. There are still frenzies and bubbles around various issues like cryptocurrency or New Age tech stocks. So what do you think has changed and what has not? So uh,
0: social media and the internet has been a huge change, right? I think it's been a huge boon as well as a huge curse. And I'll just give you examples of both. Boon in the sense that now there's a fundamental trust in financial instruments. You don't, when we go to clients, we don't have to instill that trust. Like, you know, I'd imagine a lot of wealth managers would have had to 10 years or 15 years ago. Now we don't have to go and explain, right? Thanks to Sachin Tendulkar doing the amphi ads. Right? If he's doing it, it must be right. So that we've skipped that part completely. We've all seen the Warren Buffett quotes. We've all seen, you know, simply invest in an index fund and you will make a lot of money during your life. Uh, you know, or simply invest in two, three good mutual funds, you will make a lot of money in your life. So there's a lot of good information out there. Uh, but the curse side of things is because there's so much information out there, it's difficult to separate the noise from what is actually true right? Um, And uh, there's a lot of noise for every good Warren Buffett quote or for every good investing book. There's also a TV channel that is telling you Nifty will hit so-and-so level in three months. Nifty will hit so-and-so level in 12 months. Buy this stock at this level and sell it at this level. There's a lot of noise there that people are not able to filter out and people are not able to understand which direction to go to. Should I listen to that or should I listen to this? And again, with these new emergence of new asset classes like crypto, NFTs, the metaverse, people are not able to distinguish between in good cryptos and bad ones, uh, good NFTs and bad ones, or even understand the technology behind it. They just know that something like this exists, and because everyone's talking about it, I must be a part of it somehow, right? A lot of this information drives a lot of our inert biases, like the FOMO. Let's say, for example, you know, you you, you fear missing out. You fear you hear all these stories about people making good money, and social media has this pattern, right, or has this tendency where only the good stories come on a lot of the bad stories don't come out, right? Um, so it's been a curse that way. I would advise a lot of our listeners and a lot of our clients to be able to, I think your portfolio would help, uh, be helped a lot if you're able to filter out the noise from the good information. And I think that takes experience. So the earlier you start, the earlier you start reading, the earlier you start trying to gather knowledge and the more uh, investors you speak to, the successful ones, who have been around not for one, two years, but who have been, uh, been around for the last 50 years, who have seen so many cycles, who have seen so many boom and busts, right? If you learn from them, then I think your journey to compounding that wealth will just become that much easier. So I think the change to answer your question has been information, which just wasn't there back then. It's up to you on how you sort of, you know, uh, interpret that information and how you take that. So that's very important. in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Virash, let's talk about one thing that we touched upon a little earlier, which is uh, changing families. In the old generation, there was one kind of family. Most people had children, sometimes lots of children. You know, lots of millennials now aren't married or if they are married, many of them don't have children. So they have fewer expenses. And Absolutely. we are a richer country than, than what we were 20, 30 years ago. So they have greater income to save and invest. Now, In your discussions with clients, what are you seeing? Does that make them better investors? Does that make them more risk takers? What is the outcome? I mean, like everything,
2: again, there are two sides to this answer. Okay. As you rightly mentioned, people today have more money to spend. People today have less dependencies, they are all independent, so what that does for you is you become a little aggressive, you know, for a fact that, you know, that even if this money kind of goes for, I I mean, I lose this money, that's still okay with me because I have something to fall back on, A, and B, that there is nobody dependent on me, I I don't have to pay some school fees in the coming year, I don't have that many expenses, plus generally, even in a marriage, most of the couples are working together, right? So people have their own independent money, which they kind of invest on their own, so As I said, the family becomes more aggressive. Back then, what happens is one of the key differences is that for our families, so when I say my family, for example, my father, my grandfather, they couldn't afford to lose money. So when that factor comes into play, you will automatically become more risk averse. You won't kind of go into, as I said, random IPOs, go for much more traditional asset classes, nice asset classes, look for the long term. What happens now is that you can afford to lose money, which makes you less patient, right? which is one of the key virtues as Shilam also rightly mentioned in the previous question about social media. It's an external factor, one of the most internal factors which is affecting people today is the patience, right? Because your patience is so low now, what's happening is that you can be more aggressive. You think that, okay, fine, if this money goes to a I'm okay with that, not a problem, right? So that, that kind of affects your asset allocation in a way that kind of makes you take certain decisions in a rash manner. Right, which I believe is not the right way to start your investment journey or kind of continue your investment journey as well. Investment person in very simple terms is, make money for yourself, for your future. Right, investing is not immediate gains, like if I invest today, you won't believe. I have a, I mean, WhatsApp chats with this gentleman which I can show it to you. Before Diwali this happened, I was just talking to an individual, a 28-30 year old guy. And we've been talking about some time on mutual funds, starting some SIP. So at least, you know, 5-10 years later, he has some uh, corpus to fall back on. And I just get this message, hey Viraj, uh, last month I invested around 6 lakhs in uh, altcoins. We are around 35-40 lakhs right now, in one month. Now, to explain mutual fund or to explain long term investment for that particular individual is extremely impossible. I mean, if some wealth manager can do it, then that's great. But it, I couldn't do it, right? So that's how people's perceptions are changing, people's aggression is changing, people's objectives are changing. As you mentioned, right, families are getting shorter, families are getting more independent. What happens is your objective becomes short-term. You don't look out the long term because that kind of mentality is kind of gone right now, at least in our discussions. So Siddhant and I have been kind of trying to instill that mentality. Okay, no matter what, do some of your cryptos, NFTs or even you know, new age tech stocks you want to do. But at the same time, keep your SIP on, don't. <laughs> kind of mess with that right because we believe we strongly believe that will be the part which will help them later 10-15 years down the line which they are not able to comprehend right now
1: yeah let's finally talk about retirement and pensions a lot of people I know know, have their parents who don't get unless they work in the government unless they are former government or army employees Right. right there are no pensions people have savings and they live off them now there is a plethora of options for millennials to actually build their own pensions so could you take us through those and what our retirement will look like 40-50 years from now.
0: So I think, Neil, uh, a very important point when it comes to uh, retirement is the factor that affects retirement most is life expectancy. So again, going back to the millennial and the previous generation, I see this problem with the previous generation, which is why I think the millennials should really consider it. Back in the early 2000s, India had a pretty low life expectancy, right? It was still, I think, in the 60s, if I'm not wrong. Now we're in the mid-70s, about 75. And I'd imagine after 20, 30 years, it'll only get better and better, right? With healthcare technology becoming so So I do believe that people will start a lot of us will start living up to the age of 90 or even 100 so the first thing is that uh, you need to realize is that after retiring you will have a good 30-40 years of not working right and you will need to have the money for the next 30-40 years which is a problem i see plaguing a lot of families right now people are going to outlive their money right it's called the longevity risk and i see a lot of the previous generation where the traditional 1 crore to retire that doesn't work anymore right so a lot of them i see a lot of families who are 60 65 and who are going to get retired soon but they have a corpus of maybe one and a half two crores they may have property but that is not usable money right and that's all they have and i can see them outliving their money right let's understand that inflation also is not the standard five six percent that we see our spending patterns are different right if you're going to spend on good quality health care for example so inflation is actually 12 13 percent Right for millennials to be able to build that corpus, they actually need to define what kind of corpus do they need. Right, uh, it has to be a technical calculation, uh, which a lot of us are not doing, and that worries me. Right, uh, the first thing you have to understand is that you need you, you need money for the next 30, 40 years. A lot of millennials are also talking about retiring early. Uh, without having any idea how much money actually they'll need if they're not going to work for 50 years, for example. A lot of us want to retire at 40 and 50. So what I would urge everybody to do is understand how much you're spending now, have an inflation number, and calculate what is the kind of corpus you would need and see when you can truly retire, right? So if somebody uh, at the current lifestyle needs a corpus of, let's say, 15 crores, you need to understand that your asset, asset allocation and your investing pattern has to match that, you know, for you to get to that 15 crores. Right? Uh, a lot of that would have to be equity. When we say retirement, we typically think of the very traditional asset classes. But if you're not going to have equity, you will very fast deplete your money. If you're going to have your retirement money in FD, you will very fast deplete your money. For millennials, I would say that have your asset allocation intact. Think of equity and not just think of equity as an asset class where you can make quick money. Now think of it as a long-term money. You know, uh, Think of it as, as an asset class which you have to depend on where you can't lose money. Right. So mutual funds, of course, professionally managed funds, uh, is a great way to do that. With debt, also try and uh, select the most tax-free uh, and tax-efficient of uh, method of you know investing in debt as well. So FDs, of course, is not a great uh, way of doing that. You know, There's a lot of other options like debt mutual funds where your tax is 20% indexation or other debt-free, you know, tax-free bonds and stuff like that. So this is very important, right? We have a lot of Or NPS for that one. NPS is a great one. NPS is a great one as well because you get a tax break on uh, at the time of investing as well, right? PPF is a really good place to put your money. Um, PLSS is a great place to put your money. You know, there's a lot of products. More important products is the asset allocation and the corpus you need to build, right? That's most important. The products don't matter. There's a lot of products out there. But if you get to that corpus, take advice of a good advisor who can help you so that you don't face the problem in the future where you have to depend on your kids or your grandkids, right? Because as Virat said, we're all coming into nuclear families now and it's just not a good idea uh, to be depending on future generations. So that's very important now.
2: One thing I'd like to add upon what Sidan rightly said, right? I don't know if you've had this conversation with me, but there are multiple people telling me, even when we make financial plans, of course, Sidhan must have experienced that, that, hey, I want to retire by early 40s or mid 40s, right? I mean, <laughs> in 90s, people didn't comprehend that. You start working, you start working, in fact, before 20, like all our parents had, and you kind of go on, still they're going on, right? They never stop working technically. For us, what's happening is, the people around us who want to retire by early 40s, and mid 40s and because of that i mean what i want to tell you know listeners if there are any right now that please it's very simple just make a simple calculation on excel and forecast it increase your incomes by 10 percent what you have today even if you're earning very well account for inflation subtract your expenses figure out what number it is account for bonuses account for outflows do every particular thing in detail if you want we can help you with that but the point is it's very 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 difficult to retire early with the kind of lifestyle which we will have later with the kind of for example millennials right now their objectives are what you have your salary you probably pay your rent you probably have some expenses your or whatever and you know you're okay you save some you invest some you spend some you don't account for what's going to happen later you're going to get married you're going to probably have kids if you don't have kids but your aspirations will always increase you have a house right now you need a new house you want to retire early you travel the world it takes cost right you don't know what's what what's the cost of travel later account for every possible thing then if you think still the number which is coming in by simple addition and subtraction you think okay this will sustain you for the rest 20, 30, 40 or if life, life expectancy increases in 90, 50 years of your life then yeah go for early 40s but I tell you, I tell everyone it's very very difficult to think of it that way okay the right way probably think about retirement is in the time you're doing something what you love it's a job or a business or whatever you keep working it doesn't matter don't think from the perspective of 45 per mera right keep working, build your corpus and there'll be a day where you know you'll be like frustrated, you don't want to work anymore, then fair enough, whatever you have that day that's okay. But right now, just because what happens is, to be very honest, we've seen that as well. Because of this, right, you want to retire early, your aggressive nature comes in the picture, right? Then it comes to investing also. See investing, uh, one of the common terms what people use today is buy the dip. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's heard that, buy the dip. This this mentality comes here, you know, if I buy today, then 20 years later. I'll be, you know, financially independent, retire, which is the right mentality. I'm not saying the mentality is wrong, but it makes you take wrong decisions sometimes. You know, not always buy the tip is a good thing. Right? So take your time, take care of this thing, do simple calculations and then take a call whether you want to retire early or not. Fair enough.
1: To finish off, just a quick rapid fire. Two ways in which, you know, one times so a time first, or two ways in which you can invest better than your parents.
0: Read more, more knowledge, and distinguish from the true knowledge and the noise. I think that's uh, the best way to invest better than the product.
2: I personally would like to recommend that to each its own. Just because your friend or someone else is kind of investing in a product, investing in an asset class, don't go behind that. Understand what your requirements are, understand what kind of quality of asset class you require for yourself, and then invest. Because right now, what's happening is the word mentality is kind of sucking people into products which they don't need and uh, destroying the capital to
1: be honest which kind of is the most important thing right now so don't do that and you're good to go well. right so listeners I hope you enjoyed that if you have an experience to share about how your parents invested and how, how you invest differently do please write to us at mintmoneyatlivemint.com or you can reach out to me on twitter at Actors Day. that's a c t u s d e i. thank you